Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. This week on Witch Investigates, we're actually going to kick off the episode with a bit of an on-air production meeting. Producer Rob dropped me a message earlier to say he's got an idea for the next episode. So I'm going to give him a call. Two seconds. Hey Rob, how are you? Hi Grace, yeah, all right, thank you. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. You mentioned you had an idea for our next episode. Yes, now I do. Uh, This might be selfish, but it's something that I really want to know about. Hopefully I'm not the only one. Now, I'm currently in the process of trying to buy a house, which I appreciate probably isn't great timing. But I've seen loads of stuff online, people on TV and radio saying the property market might be about to crash. Now, as you can imagine, I'd quite like to know the answer. Do you know what, Rob? I don't think you're the only one there. Well, if that is the case, do you think there's any chance that, as I said, selfishly for me, but for everyone else that wants to know the answer as well, can we take a look at that for this week's podcast? I've already got a few people lined up for you to talk to. Hopefully, fingers crossed, by the end of the episode, we might have an answer. Well, we can give it a try, can't we? Let's do it. happens next in the housing market is important for so many reasons, and not just Rob's potential house purchase. We saw how the government literally used the market during the pandemic to keep the UK economy from collapsing with the stamp duty holiday. And now, with a cost of living crisis in full swing, the energy price cap going through the roof, and inflation hitting a 40-year high, it's likely we'll see some impact on the housing market. But just how stark is it going to be? Whether you're a first-time buyer, someone looking to move, or just someone like me who spends their free time on Rightmove fantasising about my dream home, this episode is for you. I'm Grace Farrell, and this week's Witch Investigates asks, is the property market about to crash? Investigates is brought to you by the UK's Consumer Champion. We work to make life simpler, fairer and safer for everyone. After two successful seasons, we're back with new episodes every fortnight as we dive deeper into the issues that matter to you. If you've got something you'd like us to investigate, get in touch. Find us at Witch UK on social media or you can email us at podcasts at witch.co.uk. Coming up, I get the latest on what's happening in the market right now. The most recent data shows that 
prices have risen by about £30,000 on average in the last year, which is slightly more than the average UK wage. So there's a very good chance that if you own a house and you're listening to this, your house might have earned more than you have in the last 12 months. I go back in time to see some of the factors that are keeping prices high. There are a load of competing arguments and explanations for why house prices are so high relative to incomes across the country. And probably the two biggest ones are low interest rates and the other one is the lack of house building. But is there evidence things might be about to change? Agents, when they sort of speak, they like to sprinkle the truth with, you know, a lot of spice and a lot of flavour. They've kind of said, yeah, we're noticing a few properties are staying on the market. I don't think agents are talking about it just yet. However, I reckon in a few weeks, if this continues, they will. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of years, you'll know it's been a crazy time for house prices. According to Nationwide's House Price Index, their latest figures, which date back to August at the time of recording, they show a 13th successive month of rising prices. Dive deeper into those figures and they show the average house value is up 10% year on year. If we go back and look at what prices were doing pre-pandemic, some houses have seen their value increase by over a quarter. But why? House prices have risen massively over the last couple of years. We really saw in the pandemic a huge kind of boom of people moving home and that resulted in massive rises in house prices. It was mainly prompted by the government bringing in a stamp duty holiday. That coupled with the race for space of people looking to move to bigger properties after the pandemic really saw both transaction numbers and house prices rise significantly. I think the most recent data shows that prices have risen by about £30,000 on average in the last year, which is slightly more than the average UK wage. So there's a very good chance that if you own a house and you're listening to this, your house might have earned more than you have in the last 12 months. This is Steve Maunder, our in-house property expert at which He's been keeping close tabs on the market over the last few years. He mentioned the stamp duty holiday there. You might remember back in June 2020, then-Chancellor Rishi Sunak announced a temporary pause, which meant buyers didn't have to pay this tax on the first 500k of property sales in England and Northern Ireland. This lasted until September 2021, with the average buyer saving four and a half grand, which was a real help when you consider how bad things were looking for the economy. Though, to be fair, they're hardly looking much better now. I think the government were really concerned during the pandemic that people would just stop moving home and they needed to kind of get the economy going. And that's just resulted in this like supercharge of house prices. The stamp duty holiday had the desired effect, as well as a rise in property value. London School of Economics data found that sales were up over 50 percent resulting in an estimated £1.8 to £2.7 billion being injected into the economy. Fast forward to now, and it's clear the impact on prices continues. Here's Anisha Beveridge, Head of Research at Property Group Hamptons. 
I think actually the market's held up pretty well so far in 2022. Last year, I think everyone knows it was a little bit bananas. We had everyone wanting to move as a result of lockdowns. We had a stamp duty holiday in place and it was the biggest year for transactions in over 10 years. And actually, possibly to our surprise, quite a lot of that momentum has spilled over into this year as well. And while you might assume that London's seen the highest rises, this isn't necessarily the case. These house price increases we've seen, they're not a London thing or even an England thing. These are rises we're seeing everywhere. So if we look at the most recent land registry data, I think the biggest rises are actually in Scotland. So prices around the UK have risen by about 8% year on year, but in Scotland it's 12%, and Northern Ireland 10%, and Wales 9%. So although in kind of markets like Scotland, where average house prices are much lower than, say, they are in a lot of England, while they won't have seen huge rises in terms of thousands of pounds necessarily, they're seeing higher proportional rises than anywhere else in the UK. So this is really a sort of systemic, wide-ranging issue rather than a localised one. So house prices have been climbing across the board. But what about the rental market? At the moment, we're looking about 8 or 9% rises year on year with renting. I think most interestingly, though, when it comes to renting is the more anecdotal side of it. I mean, I've spoken to several people in the last couple of months who are trying to rent homes in London, perhaps because their landlords decided to sell up due to their own kind of financial pressures. These financial pressures faced by landlords include rising energy bills, as well as changes to the way they're taxed for owning additional properties. According to data site City Monitor, the number of landlords selling up in the capital doubled earlier this year, with one in 10 properties being sold having previously been available to rent. For the landlords who remain, lots of them are increasing rents to pass on the costs. And there's one group of renters in particular who are feeling the pinch. I think at the moment you're already seeing lower earners and young professionals, etc., being like massively priced out of the rental market. And I think one of the things people kind of hoped would be the long-term impact of the pandemic is that wouldn't continue to be the case. But there are signs that it's just kind of getting back to the way it used to be in that respect. So I think the danger is with this kind of financial inequality, especially with lower earners and younger professionals, is that we'll be looking at things like the bank of mum and dad and bank of grandma and granddad becoming even more significant than they already are. So that's obviously a concern for lots of people. So with the concept of owning a home now no more than a mirage in the desert for most low earners and young people, where will the tipping point be? As well as whether the property market's going to crash, I'm going to introduce another question for today's episode. How exactly are young people supposed to get a foot on the property ladder? It's a question asked by an increasingly frustrated section of society. But fear not, guys, because TV personality and location, location, location host Kirsty Orsop has the answer. In a now-deleted article from the Sunday Times published back in February, she told a reporter that young people spend too much money on luxuries like Netflix and gym subscriptions. Hmm. Shall we do some quick maths, Kirsty? After this claim, the Star newspaper in Sheffield did some calculations. 
They worked out just how many months of Netflix you'd have to sacrifice in order to save enough money to put down a deposit on a property in the city. Back in February, when these sums were done, the average deposit you'd need was just over £29,000. The cheapest Netflix subscription option at the time was £5.99 a month, meaning, drumroll please, it would take 4,891 months, aka 407 years, to save up enough money for a deposit. And that doesn't even take into account inflation. So unfortunately, having enough money for a deposit isn't going to happen by ditching your Netflix subscription. The fact is, incomes and house prices have become completely uncoupled. So it's understandable that lots of people feel priced out of the market. House prices across the UK are very, very high relative to their incomes. In some markets, they're the highest they've ever been relative to incomes. And what that means is it's very, very expensive for you to buy a property. This is property analyst Neil Hudson. First-time buyers, in order to actually become successful ones, have needed very, very large deposits. So in the order of 80 100% of your gross income, a first-time buyer in London needs a deposit equal to around about 120% of their gross income. That's all but impossible to most people unless they have a very wealthy banker mum and dad. We hear about the bank of mum and dad everywhere these days. But is this a new concept? Or did it always exist? To find out more, we're heading back to 1974. In a paper published last June, think tank The Resolution Foundation examined the fortunes of the typical first-time buyer for each year between 1974 and 2020. 74 was a big year. ABBA won the Eurovision Song Contest, an iconic moment that will go on to inspire producer Rob's obsession with the annual music event. West Germany won the Football World Cup, and across the pond, President Nixon resigned following the Watergate scandal. Back then, the average house price was around £9,000, while the average weekly wage was £38.10 for men and just £19.70 for women. Now, I think we should all take a minute to consider that insane gender pay gap. But essentially, this means a typical man in 1974 had a salary that was 22% of the average house price at the time. Now, let's fast forward to 2020. Bear in mind this is before the recent rises caused by the pandemic as well. The average house price in England has hit 256 grand. This compares to 173 grand in Wales, 155 grand in Scotland, and 141 grand in Northern Ireland. Taking the England figure, that's an increase of 2,744% from 1974. Meanwhile, the average wage hit just shy of 31.5,000. While that's still a whopping 1,475% increase on wages in the 70s, it's now only 12% of the average house price. Usually, you'll be able to borrow up to four and a half times the annual income of you and anyone you're buying with. This means if you're buying solo and earn the average wage, you're only likely to be offered up to 135 grand, well short of those average house prices. And that 
with the help of a calculator and some funky music, is the unaffordability problem in a nutshell. But there's more to it, and only by exploring all the factors will we get to the bottom of today's investigation. We'll be back after this. Hello, I'm Lucia, the host of the Witch Money podcast. Each week, we're here with the very best advice to help you through the cost of living crisis and make your money go further. With new episodes out every Friday, we cover everything from energy bills to pensions and property to help you get the best deals and ensure you're not getting ripped off. Just search Witch Money wherever you get your podcasts. week on Witch Investigates, we're asking, is the property market about to crash? We've already heard how wages have struggled to keep up with house price growth and how the pandemic saw prices get even higher. But why have prices been on the rise for so long? There are a load of competing arguments and explanations for why house prices are so high relative to incomes across the country. And probably the two biggest ones are low interest rates and the other one is the lack of house building. If we take that first point, interest rates have been low for decades. But is this changing? Last month, city traders predicted rates would hit 4% by next May. That's the highest figure we'll have seen in 40 years. With the cost of borrowing increasing, mortgage lenders won't be able to offer the rock-bottom fixed-rate deals we've gotten used to in recent times, apart from during the pandemic. What happened then could give us an idea of what's to come. First-time buyers were a group that during the pandemic, it was where mortgage rates rose. Lenders got a little bit cautious about first-time buyers because they tend to be a little bit more risky to lend to. We're starting to see those rates rise again. So I think that's going to be a bit of a challenge heading towards the end of this year and certainly into 2023 as well. We've seen mortgage rates kind of go up from historic lows towards the end of last year. So if you were just taking out a mortgage at 60% loan to value now, you'll look at paying more than 3% as an initial rate, whereas before Christmas, you might have been looking at less than 1%. So that's really going to impact how much you're paying out each month. So once again, the affordability gap for first-time buyers is going to widen. Let's turn to the other contributing factor that Neil mentioned, the lack of house building. It comes down to simple supply and demand. There are more people interested in buying properties than there are homes available to buy. Now, the stamp duty holiday did a lot for buyers at the time, but it's actually one of the reasons supply is so low now. The stamp duty holiday obviously resulted in huge peaks in transactions. So lots of people who might have moved home in the next two, three, four years sped that plan up and moved home immediately because there were tax incentives to do so. That's certainly had a knock-on effect in supply this year. Again, you can look at things like changing buyer priorities. So people really looking for those homes out in the suburbs, bigger homes with more space has kind of resulted in a lack of supply in those areas. And the kind of people who buy those homes are the kind of people who are buying much longer term family homes, which are less likely to then come back onto the market for possibly many decades. If we go back further, there's a perfect storm of factors that have affected supply, as Neil Hudson explains. There tended to be a lot of new homes built by local authorities 
And that was a particularly big part of the market following World War II, so through the 60s, 70s. But by the early 80s, we actually saw the amount of homes built by local authorities fall quite substantially. Now, initially, that was actually because the need for new homes had actually begun to ease. And so actually, government was making available funds for building new homes that weren't actually being taken up by the councils. And there was the idea of pensioning off the uh, building equipment was uh, was a kind of popular theme then in terms of, you know, they didn't actually need the excavators to build the homes anymore. But it also coincided with a period when actually the population was actually in decline. You know, during the 1970s, we were actually at some points projecting the population to fall during that period. What we then failed to do during the 80s when we actually saw a rebound in uh, both demand and also housing needs. So uh, the need of a growing population, but then the demand for greater owner occupation. We didn't see a rebound in house building activity because the funds available for local authorities were much, much lower than they had been. And so we've become increasingly reliant on the private house building market. In their 2019 election manifestos, all our big political parties include a commitment to increase housing supply. The Conservative Party promised to build 300,000 new homes a year, with over half being affordable housing. But last year's figures show just 216,000 were built, and that was down on the previous year too. To make things worse, a Heriot Watt University paper actually puts the figure needed at more like 340,000 a year. More evidence that we're falling way short. Neil finished his history lesson there by saying we've become increasingly reliant on the private house build market. So we decided to speak to a property developer to get his thoughts on why supply doesn't meet demand. Here's Tej Singh. Boris says, oh, build, build, build. Local councils planning departments are absolutely useless. And to be a bit fair to them, they're overworked and they're understaffed. No one wants to be a planner. I just think there's so much bureaucracy and red tape and jobs worthness in planning. The culture is just so bad. As a developer, we look at it and say, right, well, okay, I could build 10 houses here, but I've got to factor in eight months of planning. So that's eight months of finance I need to pay, which I'm paying, comes off my profit. They want me to build X many affordable homes and won't pay me a certain amount for that. Okay, that's X off my profit. They want me to use specific tiles and specific bricks, which cost X amount and we can't get because of COVID, the war, supply chains, whatever. And they don't respond to emails or calls. And they've got the neighbours complaining about silly stuff. That's not attractive. As we mentioned before, this isn't just a current issue. Back in 2009, The Guardian featured an article that quoted planners saying a million new homes were needed to make up the shortfall. But there's another more recent issue intensifying the problem. In 2017, the Grenfell fire put building standards, especially for cladding, to the front of the news agenda. New fire safety regulations came into force, with thousands of buildings up and down the country found to be in breach of the new rules. We've got hundreds of thousands of flats possibly caught up in the building safety crisis that, because they don't have fire safety certificates, they essentially can't be sold. Here's Neil Hudson again. There is a building safety crisis that's predominantly affecting recently built flats across uh, the whole of the country. 
where the construction of those has not met the required safety standards, particularly around uh, fire safety. And so there's ongoing issues whereby the existing owners of those properties are unable to either renew their mortgage or sell their property on because any buyers would be unable to get a mortgage secured against these properties because of the building safety issues. And many of them have also been faced with large costs for fire monitoring and just for the remediation of the problems. And so there is a ongoing debate between government leaseholders and the broader construction industry about exactly who is responsible. Now, it did look like we were edging towards some progress in that with developers agreeing to pay for the remediation of it, but it's very unclear exactly what the situation is now with the change in government. With these flats off the market for the foreseeable, and with their current owners effectively trapped and unable to move, there's no telling when this issue will be resolved. We've covered the safety crisis at length on our Sister Witch Money podcast, and there's a link to some of those episodes in the description for today's show. It's clear that supply and demand will continue to be an issue for years to come. But could rising prices and the fact that house buying has become so unattainable be behind a potential crash? Here's what Tej had to say when we spoke. This is good timing for this podcast because I have noticed this in the last sort of seven days or so, and maybe a little bit longer. So the market's been crazy for a year, year and a half, two years, lots and lots of reasons why. Now, I've noticed that it seems to be changing a little bit. Now, whether this is seasonal, because summer sometimes gets like this, especially August, I don't know. It's sort of happening at the tail end of August. So I'm kind of thinking it's not seasonal. I'm noticing, uh, at least as a buyer, that things are staying on the market a lot longer. So where they would be gone in minutes, it felt like, but you know, days, they are now on there for weeks, if not months. I'm noticing more things are being reduced. Interesting. We know people's belts are tightening because of the cost of living crisis. And according to the news, a recession is just around the corner. There was a recession brought on by lockdown in 2020. But the one etched in people's minds is the financial crisis of 2008. Back then, the UK housing market saw 16 consecutive months of falling prices, eventually wiping around 15% off the average UK home. So is that going to happen again? From a buyer's perspective, I'm kind of seeing a bit of a shift. Some prices may be normalising on the residential we're buying. We offered 12 grand less than we did two months ago when it was first under offer from someone else. They pulled out. I offered 12 grand less and accepted in 10 minutes. And that's probably 20 grand less than the original offer and then 40 grand less than the original asking was a couple of weeks or months ago. So I'm definitely noticing it sort of quieten down a little bit. So we already have anecdotal evidence that prices could soon drop. Agents, when they sort of speak, they like to sprinkle the truth with, you know, a lot of spice and a lot of flavour. They've kind of said, yeah, we're noticing a few properties are staying on the market. I had an agent the other day and I said, so what? You've been on the market for three months in this market and you've not had a single offer on it. I said, you've overpriced it. The only thing that stops the sale is the price. Nothing else is the price. You know, don't get me wrong, properties are still going as long as they're priced sort of well. But yeah, agents, I don't think agents are talking about it just yet. However, I reckon in a few weeks, if this continues, they will. 
If interest rates and inflation keep rising, the harsh truth is that many homeowners will be forced to sell up, especially if they can't afford their mortgage repayments or, more likely, their massive energy bills. It's a bleak picture, but it could mean more properties back on the market. So 2008 and 2009 was very much characterised by a credit crunch. I suspect lots of people saw that term phrase in a lot of the papers. And really, that was because lenders wanted to stop lending. We also saw quite high unemployment at that time. So people lost their jobs and they weren't able to service and meet their monthly mortgage repayments, which lenders then tried to repossess those homes and bring them onto the market to sell. So you sort of had this flood of homes that came came onto the market at a time where everyone was a little bit cautious. They didn't really want to buy because they didn't know what was going on. Mortgage buyers found it very tricky to buy because interest rates were rising. Well, the mortgage rates were still pretty high and lenders were cautious about selling. And that's really what kind of caused these house price falls. That said, Anisha thinks there are differences between what we saw back then and the circumstances we're facing now. Although we're starting to see mortgage rates rise, around 54% of homeowners in England do own their home outright, so in cash. So they're not quite so reliant on mortgage rates to fund those purchases and won't be quite as scared because they're on the rise as well. And also there's a very large proportion of households who have fixed their mortgage rate for quite some time. So a lot of them will be protected in the meantime from rising rates. And we've seen much stricter stress testing introduced for borrowers. And we also have quite a strong labour market at the moment. And I think really that will limit the number of forced sellers. And it was forced sellers and repossessions that were the big determinant of house price falls in 2008, 2009. So I think we've got a little bit more of a cushion there than we did back in the 2008, 2009 era, which makes a crash sort of less likely. Potentially good news for some, depending on your position on the property ladder, of course. But do our other experts agree with Anisha? And if we're not going to see a crash as such, what might happen instead? First, Steve from which? I think it's highly unlikely that the property market's going to crash. The market has withstood so many external pressures and economic uncertainties over the years from Brexit to the pandemic, etc., that the likelihood is price growth will slow or even ground to a halt, but I think a crash is highly unlikely. And what about Tej Singh? I can't say no with certainty. I can't say anything with certainty, but I don't think it's going to crash. I think it's going to dip. I think it's going to correct. I think if you look at a chart that goes up, it's going to just have a little, you know, blip and then sort of, you know, plateau for a little bit and then carry on as it does. I don't think we're going to have a 2007, 2008 crash. I can't see any factors in the economy or any sort of warning signs or any sort of relation to back then or anything that would mean that we're going to crash. There are definitely signs such as the recession that we are going to correct and that we're going to dip a little bit and slow down a little bit. But Neil Hudson has a more cautious view, especially if the cost of living crisis continues. I don't think the market is about to imminently crash, but there are very real risks that it could do over the next 12 to 18 months. I think we are in a situation where mortgage rates are going up very, very quickly, and that is going to squeeze the affordability of people who are looking to buy. And so we're going to see a standoff between the sellers 
whose price expectations have been very firmly set and the buyers who are unable to meet them. So there we have it. Hopefully we've cast some light on what might happen over the next year or so. As for producer Rob and anyone else in his position as a first-time buyer, Steve has some parting advice. What I always say to people who are thinking of buying a home at a time of economic uncertainty, as we're in now, is you need to think about the longer term because house prices have risen exponentially. And as we've discussed, they're slowing down. And it may be that if you buy a home now, in a year's time, it may be worth the same or slightly less than you paid for it. If you are thinking of buying now, then think about that long term. Are you going to live in the property for five years or more? If you are, then these short term little peaks and troughs in the market probably won't really affect you. And the the long run average suggests things will probably go up in the longer term. But if you're thinking of buying now and then in a year, you might want to move again or in a year, you might want to move again. Then I think if that's the case, you're possibly better holding off for the moment. Wise words, Steve. Thank you. And a big thanks to all this week's guests. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got plenty more on house prices and the latest developments in the housing market online. Just go to witch.co.uk forward slash money. You can even sign up to our free money newsletter at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletter. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And please do spread the word to your family and friends. Don't forget to take a listen to our other podcasts too. Just search for Which Money and Which Shorts wherever you're listening. Today's episode was presented by me, Grace Farrell, written and produced by Rob Lilly. Editing and original music is by Eric Breer. And our executive producer is Angus Farker. Special thanks this week go to Stephen Maunder, the Witch Money team, and everyone else here at Witch. And I'll be back soon for our next investigation. 